Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 39 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're talking about The Holiday, the 2006 movie written and directed by Nancy Myers, starring oh, starring some big heavyweights. It's starring Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, Jack Black, Eli Wallach. It's got cameos from uh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, young Catherine Hahn, and a uh, young John Krasinski. I mean, this movie has it all. What doesn't it have? <laughs> Christmas! Anything to do about Christmas? It's uh, completely funny. lacking. Super. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I want to do my best uh, Hal, uh, Hal Douglas here. And the world gone mad. People think this is a Christmas movie, but it's not. Ah, coming this Christmas season, a movie that has nothing to do with Christmas. The holiday. Yeah. Interestingly, this movie was completely ripped off of a book called Tara Road by a woman named Maeve Binchy. The Maeve Binchy? The Maeve Binchy. This was a, uh, <laughs> it was an Oprah pick. I mean, come on. It was an Oprah book club selection in September of 1999. It was turned into a movie in 2005, a year before this comes out, directed by uh, Gillies McKinnon. Listen to the recap of this book. It is the story of two women, one from Ireland and one from America, who trade houses without ever having met. They're both looking for an escape from their problems, but by running away, both come to discover a great deal about themselves. <laughs> Tara Road was a 99 book recommended by Oprah, turned into a movie in 2005. And then you get this in 2006, and there's no mention of it, at least in anything I read other than coming across trivia for the, the movie. I don't remember seeing any mention of it in the credits, but it's kind of crazy, right? I don't know. Yes, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this one. <laughs> well, let's just start with the basics, okay? Let's just start with some simple things. Okay, so it was released December 8th, 2006. It had an $85 million budget, and it actually made... 205.1 million yeah big That's hit pretty good uh, a huge hit it did really well internationally it, all in all this movie made just about double its total cost hey okay good for them i'm gonna read i'm gonna read the one sentence plot summary two women troubled with guy problems swap homes in each other's countries where they each meet a local guy and fall in love no mention of christmas that should be that should have been our number one uh-oh <laughs> Clearly, there's no rules to Christmas movies. There are guidelines, I think, where we've established over our first 38 weeks of doing this now, week 39. But this movie doesn't have any Christmas songs in it either. And and in particular, doesn't begin with a Christmas song. I don't know that it, it is a... I don't even know that all of the movies that we have done, but the ones that I certainly think of definitely start with some kind of Christmas tune 
or Christmas-like music, instrumental music, either sleigh bells or something like that, if not an out-and-out Christmas song. This movie, I can't think of any Christmas songs in this movie. (laughs) Very true. And not only that, but, like, they don't even weave it in a little at the beginning. Like, Like, they could easily have started this one out with a breakup and been like, oh, great, now where am I going to spend the holidays or something like that? You know, like one of those Mm kind of like, this is just like icing on the cake with Christmas coming. But like, no, no setting of the stage for that. I I would posit this movie... It makes no difference that it's Christmas time to any of these characters. None of these people. I mean, in fact, I mean, Kate Winslet's character ends up spending more Hanukkah time than she does Christmas. But the holidays are irrelevant to any of the storylines. There's no real concept of even I don't want to be alone at Christmas time. Right. It's just more the breakup portion of it all. Right. And if, yeah, and if anything, it's more that, right, they want to be alone, uh, you know, or at least not with the current men that they're with. I mean, Cameron Diaz's one question that sells her on the house swap is that there are no men in Iris's town in uh, in London. I, I would posit this movie makes more sense to be set at Valentine's Day, honestly. And why isn't it set at Valentine's Day? Doesn't that feel more rom-commy? To, to have it set around there? It absolutely does. Yes. Yes. A 100% would have made sense as a rom-com for that. Now, I am even going to raise my eyebrow a little to the rom-com aspect of it because I do think we got to talk about how there's two storylines here. And I do think in one storyline, it actually was romantic and there was sort of that meet cute everything that is very clearly spelled out. I mean, literally in dialogue. And the other one is sort of this more elongated one-night stand. Really, there's not a lot of calm and there's not a lot of ROM in either one. It's just sort of like this happenstance of it all, right? It almost, yes. I, I guess I agree with you in how it's presented and what we watched, which, guys, you could also, by the way, you, currently anyway, you can find this movie on Netflix if you're looking to watch it or, or catch up on. If you haven't seen it, it's right, available right now on Netflix. This may become a recurring theme, and, and I definitely don't want to spend however long we're going to talk about this dunking on one particular actor. But I think the England portion of this movie fails largely because of the casting is just not equipped to handle the storyline that they're presenting here. I think in a better actress's hands, not Cameron Diaz's, I think, (laughs) I think the story with uh, the Amanda and Graham storyline and the introduction of the Muppets who are, are, are all all adorable. (laughs) I think you can, you have a story where it turns into from a one night stand into love blooms in a, in a short period of time. I just don't think she's got the chops to sell that storyline. I agree with you. And I also think that we are all accustomed, especially in 2021, watching this to Cameron Diaz being a certain character, right? She's always this one that's like kind of quirky, kind of like, you know, sexy, funny, but definitely like always like out of the league of the person that she is, is, is getting wooed by, right? Like these are all of her characteristics. And I needed someone, if she was going to be playing this sort of more anal, workaholic, driven, Hollywood, LA type, I needed something different out of her. She can't be quirky. She can't be those things. This isn't working for me. I mean, watching her tug her suitcase in high heels 
whining after I've seen her as like a Charlie's Angel, perfectly capable woman or seeing her in something about Mary where she's like super athletic and can like do all these things. And she's a she's a doctor and like she's fully capable. I'm like, I don't buy you as this like wimpy anal person. I loved who you came up with for this time period. Came up with a list pretty off the top of my head, but I think we agreed the top three that we would have cast it at for a 2006 movie for this role is a Drew Barrymore a Reese Witherspoon or a Jennifer Garner. Uh, I think we both agreed Drew, Drew was our top pick for, I mean, this is two years after 51st Dates. So it's right in that wheelhouse where she kind of had a renaissance, like a like a rom-com co-lead, you know, leading lady, like renaissance at the, this exact period. And I think she sells the brokenhearted, but wants to love story better. Nothing about Cameron Diaz's, the way she's playing Amanda here makes me believe, A, she is going to stick around in this relationship. B, that she wants to be a mother to Jude Law's kids. Right? There's no basis on that. She has a vibe about her. It's very career-driven, right? Like, we need that career-driven woman, which I, I totally leaned into your Reese Witherspoon portion of it all. She works all the time. She's cutting her promos. She what? She did like 77 promos or whatever they say at the beginning of the movie. She's built a studio in her house. So all she cares about is work. This is really just a one night stand. It never feels anything more than that from her end. Jude Law is, is selling his butt off here of is, this is a big step for me. I compartmentalize my life. The idea of introducing you and bringing you into my daughter's world is a big step. If you mess this up, you're going to be not only breaking my heart, who I cry at everything. I'm a very sensitive man, but you're also going to be breaking my adorable daughter's hearts. Please don't do that. Please don't hurt us. Like he's selling the hell out of that on top of oodles and oodles of charm. I think Jude Law is one of the most charming men of the last generation of actors. And I think it's on full wattage here. She's a C-string bencher. The, the first two people that should have been in this role called out sick and they were like, all right, I guess you have to stand in. Okay. She's also feels like the Sarah Jessica Parker kind of miscast in Family, Family Stone. Stone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Remind me who the girl that actually gets his heart was. Claire Deans. How that was like that mismatch mm -hmm. where you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I just don't see this guy falling in love with this girl. Besides the fact that she is attractive and she sure is. Go totally get that. We 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 do that part of this. I, what does Jude Law see in this woman? We don't get any basis. Like, while in the other storyline, it is clear what Kate Winslet as Iris, like, you get her heart. You understand her values. You get that she cares about family. Obviously, her and Graham as brother and sister have this relationship where he can come over and have a sleepover anytime and all this stuff. Although, big fat question mark. Jude Law Graham is a widower, ostensibly has his children all the time. So then when... They say the part about how he like gets drunk and sleeps over at his sister's on the regular and kind of like in a impromptu, I didn't know I was going to get that drunk kind of way. I'm sorry, you're the widowed dad with two little ones at home. And Extremely this is little do. ones. Extremely yeah. little ones. Like, were you impressed at that whole story? Well, spot? because, you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where because they bring the kids in halfway through the movie. Like so you really quarters of the way through. So you really have to stop and think. 
back to yourself and say, hey, who is watching these kids? Like, do they have like a Mary Poppins kind of person that like he drunk dials? You get in my house. I'm not coming home. Like, is that kind of like <laughs> what happens three nights a week? Really, any scenario doesn't work for me, even if they're like over at the grandparents, of which course. is what he says. Oh, they're over at the grandparents. Okay. I thought it was weird when they're talking about New Year's Eve and he goes, I have the kids. Yeah. You are a widower. Well, who in, the hell else has the kids besides you? Uh, well, I love this dark fantasy, though. Maybe it's a situation where upon his wife's untimely death, the, her parents never liked him. And maybe they have Ooh, prosecuted. Maybe they have okay. prosecuted. I've known relationships actually like this, where the grandparents sue for co-custody in the Whoa. wake of a, a, of a parent's death because they don't trust and or like the surviving spouse. And so maybe it's one of those situations where maybe he has to actually have the kids uh, with the grandparents more frequently than he would like. Nothing about him in this movie feels like that, because even though he says that, I mean, he's he's getting drunk and banging on the regs, uh, nothing about his character actually makes you feel like that's a thing that happens. I agree so much. He feels like a guy who is like making you breakfast the morning after your one night stand. And it's never a one night stand. It's always at least a nice weekend with a proper British man. I mean, that's what it feels like. Like, like he's definitely, you know, you like you're leaving with like a little gift wrap box or something. (laughs) There's a gift bag. There's a parting gift. There's a parting (laughs) gift for having sex with him. So, okay. So let's, let's just lay this out a little bit more clearly for our listeners who are like, I don't understand what y'all are talking about. How are these people even related? I'm realizing we kind of jumped the gun. Okay. Here's the main thing. The two women remember in my one, one, my one sentence plot line here. What happened was that Amanda over in LA has a bad breakup with Ed Burns, who is definitely a jerk. In this movie, not in real life. We like Edward Burns in real life. Of course and we have we interviewed do. him over at Decorating the Set. You should go listen to that interview right now. Iris, Kate Winslet, is over in London, really a small town outside London. And she is going through this very strange non-breakup, really. It's more like she's just dealing with heartbreak because this guy definitely wants to keep her on the hook. So they decide to swap houses, spend two weeks basically in each other's environments, if you will, because it's not like they step into their lives or anything. They just kind of live in their homes. That's the basic premise here, guys. And that's why it could really happen any time of the year. This could be the summer. This could be, you know, spring break. This could be, like you said, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day almost makes more sense. Like, I don't have a date or anything because they've never really explained, like, why would Iris want to get away? Why wouldn't she go to Graham's and spend time with her, her nieces for the holidays? Who she's obviously very close with. That kind of made sense to me. And because he even going across the pond and across the country all the way to L.A., this guy still tracks her down. Jasper still tracks her down in L.A. And I, so I think I think the motivation was I want to get as far away as possible. Because remember, when she says, you know, please be far away, please be far away. And then they're typing on the computer to each other. And she says she's in L.A. She's like, that's wonderful. Like literally like halfway around the world kind of from London or from England. So so I, I think the, that kind of made sense that she didn't want to just be in town because obviously Jasper would have tracked her down at Graham's 
house with the kids or whatever. I think she intentionally wanted to be far away from the scene. Because I get she- you, but you get what I'm saying. Like, they haven't established her as someone who doesn't have a lot of family or isn't close with her family. Like, she's close with her brother. She'd be close with her nieces. There's grandparents around of some sort. I would have liked it at Valentine's Day, where that's not a family holiday. Right. That's a love-related holiday romantically. So I'm backing what you're saying. So you're saying something more like, what you know, that what, there's a scene in here where Graham's like, you're not going to be at our house for Christmas. Like you're not going to yes. see the girls on Christmas. Like yes. what? Don't like, you, wouldn't you agree? Like, and yeah. I'm a fairly recent widower. I'm actually kind of heartbroken that. And I'm, I'm drunk all the time having sex yes. on the regular and not home with the girls, please. Right. Come and just spend some time with them. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You take care of them three days a week when I'm off having, you know, <laughs> improper relations with people. So sometimes we have movies that are not Christmas movies. And I actually think the fact that it's Christmas time works again against this movie Mm. because that actually bothers me about both iris and graham because they've established them as a as a comfortable little family unit if you just took christmas out of the whole equation i would feel better about the fact that she was gone so that's just neither really here nor there but it but it's one of the first times christmas actually works against the movie la feels almost like an abomination for Christmas, right? It's like where Christmas cannot live. Think about this movie. If not for the Hanukkah party, would you have any idea in the LA scenes that it was Christmas time? I mean, there's a wreath on the door, I guess, but that's more it's like not a, even no. It's an olive wreath. I really like zoomed in on that. I was gonna it's say it looked more. Wreath. I was gonna say look more like a fall wreath, like someone went out and picked pine cones or something like that. But it's this olive wreath, which I totally dug because I love olives, and so I'm about that type of wreath. But no, it's not even a holiday wreath of any sort. So right? There's no Christmas right. tree in. In, in Amanda's house, like, you know, mm-hmm. she's got that gorgeous pool. Now, to be to be sure, when Iris runs through the house and she's just wowed yes. by the size of it, she does this little jump out by the pool. <laughs> yes, she does. It made me squeal with delight. Okay, I should back up. I love Kate Winslet. I I, am a, I love Kate Winslet to begin with. I think she's a fantastic actress. But I love because of that, I think, I love Iris. I love this character. I love everything about her. I would watch a series of movies about her and her adventures in Hollywood. I think that would be fantastic. Can we just kind of like bust in? Because we really started talking about the, the Graham and Amanda relationship, if you will. The but worst really, part of the movie, for sure. Yeah, it really is. So let's really get into the Iris, what is it, Miles. Let's get into the Iris and Miles storyline because they were the romantic comedy of it all. I think there's something about Kate Winslet, maybe because of Titanic, maybe because of other roles she's played, has this sort of inherent romanticness to her Mm -hmm. that is sort of like you kind of expect her to have like tendrils in her hair, maybe a ribbon here or there, some some sort of eyelet lace somewhere on her body would make sense all the time. She has that Jane Austen-esque feel to her. And then you have Jack Black, who instantly is so comfortable with her and funny and not in an overly sexual way. He's obviously like interested in her and like thinks she's cute or whatever, but he isn't, he is not intimidating or overt as opposed to the whole Amanda Graham, we're definitely getting like naked feel. Iris and Miles have a total friendship slash I'm, I care about you feel first and foremost. It's a very earned romance. It, it, when, yes. when they wind up together, you, it makes sense because the movie has put time and the actors have put time into 
making you believe that and selling that to us uh on on what you're talking about with what jack black brings to the table so nancy myers is on record as saying that she wrote all four of these main characters with these four actors in mind i find it hard to believe that she wrote this with cameron diaz in mind and and jude law too actually as it turns out maybe she really in fact did not actually she was a little worried that jude law couldn't pull it off but jack black she very much is affirmatively wrote this with jack black in mind after watching him in school of rock from 2003 uh on casting him this is what uh nancy myers had to say when i was thinking of this movie i thought he was someone i would like to write a part for and i'm aware he's not clark gable he's not tall dark and handsome but he's adorable and he's lovable it's my way of saying this is the right kind of guy this is what most guys look like if they're lucky he's so adorable and why not a cast against type jack black actually felt quote flattered and a little bit nervous about myers approach to uh having him star in this rom-com he eventually agreed to sign on because he learned he was going to be playing kate winslet that was actually the selling point for him to do this because he was nervous about his own performance and being able to sell a romantic lead in a nancy myers rom-com featured film but learning he was gonna face kate winslet he was like oh yeah no of course i'm gonna do it so (laughs) i mean who wouldn't but you but that all comes through that's what jack black brings to the table yes that a little bit of nervousness and awkwardness and everything that you that is like an important element to romance if you will there has to be that little feeling of like will they won't they for one and for two that like i'm i'm so nervous i'm gonna start giggling when we kiss or like that type of thing like that little bit is like what sells it for me and i'll tell you there was a part that really nailed home the lack of romance on the Amanda and Graham side. When she says, when they're all partying, and she says, I'm going to kiss you for the millionth time. On the flip side of the story, we have Iris and Miles kissing essentially for the first time on the lips at the end of the story. That's the difference for me. Like, y'all have already kissed a million times over here. You didn't have the wooing. You didn't have the romance. There wasn't the falling for one another versus... This other side where we got to the whole end of the entire story and they're just kissing for the first time. This is what Arthur, the Eli Eli Wallach character, is trying to teach her as part of her lesson in powerhouse women is it's starting with the meet cute right at the gate where she fumbles with the gate and she's babbling about, you know, just learning about the whole gate thing. And, and he's just kind of amused by her, her being on, you know, all disheveled and, you know, then they're standing super close to each other and he's picking an eyelash out of her eye. And it's like electric chemistry. Like there's electricity, like sizzling between them. And then it's awkward because the Maggie girlfriend comes up and it kind of, you know, cold, cold waters the thing, but neither of them are really thinking it, but there is definitely a, a Cupid arrow feel to it. And then and then it kind of goes from there. I like the scene where he's leaving the Hanukkah party that he impromptly showed up to at her house. And he kisses her on the cheek as he's saying goodbye. <laughs> but then they continue to talk a little bit. And then he kisses her on the cheek a second time and lingers. And he realizes how awkward that is and apologizes for being awkward and kissing her a second time. I love that. That felt so real to me and so... I don't know there's something here, but I also have a girlfriend and I don't know how you feel about me. And you're also super hot and out of my range. And it's all very awkward and I'm very awkward. And please forgive me for living. (laughs) It all felt like that. And I very much identified with all of that. It felt very real to me. Yeah. Constantly having sex one night, one night stand sex over in England felt less relatable. I mean, that's fine. You can have a hot and heavy relationship right away. Cool. But that's not a rom-com. 
just period end of sentence like it's not it's something else it's it's some sort of i don't know erotic story or something but it's not Dear penthouse yeah I was... basically yeah i showed up and then this man showed up at my door literally six hours into the trip he, of course he's gorgeous and already intends to sleep over what uh, right I mean, like we're on. making plans so, like she closes the door and she's like oh her brother oh she's like she's yes. like <laughs> like all she's, over the place like immediately straight out she says we should have sex joey tribbiani in friends had a great line that i think about all the time i think it was ross was asking him how he relaxes before a date and he says straight face to ross he says well i like to have sex uh you know i, I feel like it really takes the pressure off that's the exact vibe that these two have kind of thing. Like, let's just get the sex out of the way. We're, we're, we're both very attractive. We know it's going to happen. You're super drunk. I'm horny and alone. Let's go. You know, otherwise I'm leaving England. Like, either have great sex with me. By the way, I'm also bad at sex. What was that whole thing? What was that whole storyline about? I have no idea. They She's never a bad actress. That's the problem. That. <laughs> she is a bad actress because none of her lines here work for me. They all fall flat. They all sound like they're rehearsal lines. Lines. that's my problem when she she has a line that says something like she says to him very awkwardly she says uh can can we try that again after they've kissed the first time but she says it in such like a mechanical non-convincing kind of way you picked out the let's have sex line it felt like it was like rehearsal it, there was no acting going on from for at least from her point and his his work suffers because there's just nothing pinging off there again it's a failure, I think, of the script, but I think it's a failure of the casting. I don't really blame her. It's just out of her range to sell this romance story. And I want to be clear. I have zero issue with the two of them, like, having this, like, whatever, lust at first sight kind sure. of situation. Cool. And they could have been those characters, and that's fine. You cannot sell that as romantic, though. It just isn't. It's the wrong word. I, But I want to make sure, because I'm not in any way shaming no, the fact I'm that all they about them. Right away. No, I'm no, all about I, them having sex. I think They're, it was a whole right. thing. Don't have them get together with one night sex, one night stand sex, and then morph that into romance where the crux of it is they keep having one night stand sex like there's yes. no romance even when like she goes out and she ends up at the same restaurant where he is with his friends like that's not a date that's not romance that's that's eyes across a room like by the way we're gonna have sex again later but her at face was like so not it was like stalkery. She had mm. this really big eyed and really big smile face on that was like, <laughs> I found you kind of face that I was like, this isn't cute. Like she like, I'm sorry, like the the stereotypical stuff. She should have been a little bit shy. She should have maybe put, you know, kind look of like away a little a li bit, look away a little bit. But right. when you like stare intently at the other person, like, <laughs> You are not fitting this, like, will they, won't they? They obviously will and did. So then you're already, like, behind the eight ball to to draw us in about whether or not this is going to be a viable couple. If they're going to be a couple that started with one night stand sex and then grow into a relationship, fine. But then the movie fails on that, though, too. It, it never successfully transitions us or sells us that this is a couple that had a sex-based meet-cute and, and then grew into a relationship that's going to last. They're not going to fly back and forth across the pond. He's got his daughters. She has She sells a zero interest in wanting to be a mom to them like i don't buy any of i don't feel any of that 
I, I don't know. I mean, they're there for New Year's, but then she's going to go home. And I think that's the last time they're going to see each other. So what was the point of this whole thing? All I'm thinking about, especially as a single parent, is, all right, you're going to disappear. And then I'm going to have to explain to my kid, like, where you went. Mm, and that's a whole thing about her showing up. I mean, I understand that she didn't know that there was kids involved. And obviously they set that up with the, it's Sophie, it's Grace, and la, 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 or Olivia, whatever her name is. All the women calling. And he's already said, like, I sleep around. Like, he already freaking said that. So it was like, okay. So when it turns out to be kids, already, I mean, I guess I guess because too much has been written and too much has been understood, I think, in the world of, like, it's important to kind of figure out when you're going to introduce your kids to, like, a person you're interested in. So, like, that whole thing got messed up to me. In a way, because of all the lying and because of all the, like, confusion, I guess. And I I feel sad for that because they tried to kind of keep moving it into, like, no, it's adorable. And, you know, they're they're all going to lay down in this tent together and all this stuff. But at the same time, I was getting this super icky feeling because there's nothing funny or cool about kind of jerking kids around. No, no, no. In the real world, he should have been like, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you about my daughters because I'm compartmentalizing my life. And I liked all of that. And that all made sense to me. Then he should have said, and you're not going to meet them. You and I, this is just having a lot of fun while you're here. Uh, So I'm going to go get the kids over to grandpa and grandma. You know, it's their night anyway. And we're going to do it. And it's going to be fantastic. And and that's what our relationship is. And I would have been okay with that. I don't like the mixing of what this relationship is and bringing the kids into it. I don't like it. I don't believe it. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth and it it really ruins that whole side of the story, which is unfortunate because I really love the Iris and, and Miles storyline. And the best storyline is Iris and Arthur. Eli Wallach is so good in this. So good. That entire thing with his background in film, his whole history in Hollywood, it was so engaging and so interesting. And man, if you did not make like a little like, oh my God, when they mentioned Barbara Stanwyck mm-hmm. and then and they're talking about these, these older movies with all these women with gumption and everything, I was like, this is exactly the kind of stuff we talk about every single time we run across one of these women. We're always like, man, they're just so freaking cool. And I loved that they used that that like role model, if you will, to kind of transform Iris into this woman who felt like, okay, I have the guts, I have the words, and I have like the role models now because of Arthur to to really like know how to talk to men in a way that's much more powerful and and smart and funny and whatever and like stand up for herself. You know, valuing like, so herself. Right. Yes, I've got to say that whole situation with Jasper was shocking when it was really like he he had no intent of like breaking up with the other girl you were just always supposed to stay on the on the line for him like what he says a line to her before they even announce the engagement and how crappy of him i'm trying not to curse how crappy of him in that office where she gives him the present the the original edition and you know he says he says all of these lines that i think anyone who's ever had an unrequited love that ends up breaking your heart has heard he says sign lines like why are you so great edward burns says a crazy line to amanda he says something like you don't want to be what i need 
That is an insane line. That is an insane line for any person to say to another person. Like, you don't want to be subservient to all of my wants and needs and be there for me. That's why I'm sleeping with the, you know, the the intern girl, right, at at the movies. But yeah, just Jasper's whole vibe. Can I add a whole layer of awkward and icky to 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 Jasper. Yes, you guys just to, just so you know, Jasper's like a coworker of Iris's back in London. Right. And her on again off again crush she's been in love with, they worked together, yes. they had relations. I never felt like they were formally going out or at least that he acknowledged. Oh, no. I think she's always been the side piece. She's always been his side piece and she is she is just head over heels in love with him at the start of the movie. She gives him a very nice and expensive uh Christmas present. He tells her that he's got something she's going to look hot in for Christmas, but of course he doesn't actually have the present with. Uh so they make some, you know, cute talk and then they go out to the larger bullpen. They work at the telegraph uh which is a, a newspaper in england it's it's revealed that jasper this guy who's just sweet talking her and flirting with her in her office is getting engaged or has gotten engaged to another woman who works in the office named sarah which is the first time iris is finding this out literally in front at like a holiday party uh in front of the whole office so quite humiliating for her and she's singled out because she is the relationship's editor at the newspaper so it's her job to talk about who's dating who and and the society life and all that kind of thing so she's actually singled out in this scene as oh this is a couple that you won't know has gotten engaged yet iris but here you go and then so jasper goes up on stage uh rufus sewell who plays jasper him and kate winslet actually dated in the mid-90s Oh, jeez. Yeah, so how awkward it must have been rehashing this bad love breakup scene. These these guys dated for, I think it was only a few months. They did three or four months in like the mid-90s. But yeah, uh, come come here and they, they have to play uh, scorned romantic partners here. So, well, maybe that made it easier for, maybe, maybe that very much a user, right? Because he then also has the gall to send her the editing pages, which of course she's going to do because she, she has, she makes one request of him the entire movie. Please give me space so I can fall out of love with you. And he gives her all of 12 hours, maybe before he calls and asks her to do work for him on his book because he's stuck and he needs her little help because he's yeah. a big, he's a big baby. All a lot, most of the men, except for Miles in this movie, come off pretty, pretty badly, honestly. I, uh, the only one that I loved, loved, loved was Arthur. And then secondly, I loved Miles. I thought he was cool and, and funny. And I thought that all of the humbleness, all of the flattered sort of portion that, like you, you said, he felt in real life about being cast for this came across like he felt like he badly wanted to do this the right way with her and they did all the steps like for all the things we're complaining about with amanda and graham i feel like they did all the right things when it came to miles and iris like they didn't let them progress past anything until they both got rid of their other halves but we're building a friendship all along yeah, and just just talking and 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 learning about each other and helping each other. When we had Iris help elderly Arthur, who is mm. ninety, you guys, actually take him to the pool and help him be able to walk more steady, so that when he could go get this award, he could feel like he could do this without a walker. My heart was just like I know just, it was. I, know it was. <laughs> I was like, this is such great character development for iris that we never had anything like this on the other side i understand they had the she can't cry 
little element to for her Ma- personality. Amanda, not Iris. For Amanda. For Amanda. That's yeah. all, though, on the other side. That's, that's like, all we right. had. You know, we didn't really understand her personality or what her business was at all. But on the flip side, you know, Iris just... She was so genuine and she had such lessons to learn and she was learning along the way. What in the world was Amanda doing? She was having sex. The end. Like, honestly, the end. Right. Not learning, not self, not doing any kind of self-actualization. She was just, hey, now I've had sex with a British guy. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what it felt like. But, I, you know, Eli is so great for her. He is, he is, if it was a Disney cartoon, he would be the fairy godmother character because he kind of mm-hmm. swoops in. There's no reason for them to meet other than it almost feels like he was destined to be hobbling along in a street no idea where he's going and she because she has a kind heart asks him you know can i give you a lift home and he's thankful that she knows where he lives because he doesn't right he's he's 90 years old which eli wallach turned 90 while they were filming this movie um he was so energetic nancy myers actually had to remind him several times that he was actually supposed to be a slow moving elderly old man she actually had to like put a restrictor plate on him because he i was loved so... that when they were in the pool and he like did that little prank like he was going under the water so cute and the fact that we spent so much time with iris and arthur and with miles being sort of more of a supporting situation there uh-huh. that just felt so right you know like right. i can dig all of this and, and- just and so arthur gives her a list of 15 movies for her to watch that all feature powerhouse women from the golden age of hollywood the barbara stanwick types um which i sent you a picture from my notes just so you so you had proof that i wrote this at the top i wrote barbara stanwick hyphen sexy hyphen powerhouse woman i mean as soon as they said the line i was like yeah i totally get that that's who you (laughs) want to be modeling on for sure you know miles takes this information right because they end up going to blockbuster a couple times and he ends up watching movies with her he doesn't criticize he doesn't talk down to he is nothing but supportive and totally into one her educating herself and absorbing these movies he has like a genuine interest in it and two he's as equally impressed by arthur as she is you know he he's not challenged by him he doesn't try and sell him as old or you know like lame or anything like that because he's also having to have his own growth arc miles is because he has to break up with maggie who he learns is cheating on him and so his relationship wasn't what he thought it was and so he's very much also in a position like iris is someone who was giving and was taken advantage of now also has to kind of figure out what his life looks like alone and i want to point out that the miles iris characters not only are they like cheated on but they're treated so badly i mean maggie only was working for like a day or two out on location and then actually just was living with this other guy i mean that's a whole other level than just like the ed burns situation where he like slept with an intern but also slept with her for months and then we have a year with iris where jasper's like totally with another woman getting married having a whole life with her what is happening these are so not just like oh the relationship went sour they're kind of they're kind of on on the rocks like no, this is this is extreme cheating at a level that I I'm like wow. Yeah, no, I mean it also kind of makes you wonder too about the uh the uh, 
Amanda and Ethan relationship. Ethan is uh, the Edward Burns character. Now, he definitely comes off like a piece of trash and he's cheating on her with this young girl and he's got the line like, you don't want to be, you know, serving my needs and all that kind of thing. I don't have a good feel for how much she was putting into the relationship either, right? I mean, she even makes a point when she throws him out in that opening scene. She says, this is why we never got separate houses, you know, and you never felt right to me. So it doesn't sound like she was fully invested in this relationship anyway. It's not like Iris, who is clearly pining and clearly lovelorn against her wishes with this man that it constantly breaks her heart. She knows she, he's breaking her heart, and yet the heart wants what it wants, and so she literally can't do anything about it, right? She, she, is, she is a prisoner to her heart. I don't get that same feeling for Amanda and Ethan. It seemed like a kind of very surface relationship that went badly and neither of them were fully two feet invested anyway right they weren't actually living together he never got rid of her house it wasn't like they were married or engaged now i i very anti-cheating in the relationship but at the same time she wasn't fully invested in the relationship it's clearly she wasn't you know i feel the same vibe i get from how she's going to walk away from graham and his girls is the same kind of feeling i get from her you know, I feel like her her feeling with Ethan and what he did to her comes more out of humiliation than brokenheartedness. Iris feels like a shattered heart. Yes. Uh, and humiliation. At work and stuff, everything. Oh, jeez. Amanda feels more like humiliated, not so much broken heart. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. She's, she's so much more tough and, like, thick-skinned in, like, not a great way. Like, she's just totally, like, unfeeling. Her first night in England, she sees the trailer for the movie that she's finishing when the movie opens, and, like, she's fist-pumping in bed and stuff. That's her love. Her love is with Catherine Hahn and John Krasinski and, <laughs> and her trailers, you know, her reds and her music, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We care about Iris and Iris's story with Arthur and Miles because Iris was sold to us immediately as someone who was leading with her heart. And we want to see her heart get repaired. And I would even say with Arthur, there's a, a more complicated layered rom-com going on there, you know, because yes, they're of different generations and yes, and all that stuff. But there's clearly like this, like loving relationship between the two of them, like at a different place in a different time, you know, these two could have been a couple together, you know, when he gives her like the corsage. And it's, oh like, it's my God, a, I, love I know. It. And he was like, this is what we used to do. Like when we, when we were dating and all this kind of stuff, like there was just this whole actual romance being played out that was just so sweet and kind and every single one of those characters grew iris arthur and miles all grew and changed as characters graham and uh and old uh, amanda they were just going to try to mash each other into each other's lives but no growth and whatever when Iris offers to be Arthur's date for this honorarium that they that the Writers Guild of America want to give him for his time in Hollywood, his 60-year career in Hollywood, she is invested in him and wants to do it. But she refers to him as being her date, and he doesn't scoff. They don't make fun of it. It's not objectified. It's not, it's not ridiculed. You know, it's... He takes that seriously. You know, yeah. she's making an investment in him. She takes it seriously, and so does he. He gets her a corsage. He acts the way a gentleman should act. 
he acts romantic. He acts romantic. And that's what we wanted. I wanted the wooing, you know? Let's talk about the Hanukkah party, because I was very excited about this because of one particular participant at the Hanukkah party. But you yeah. and I joked at, at, you know, when we were first starting here that this was more of a Hanukkah movie than it was a Christmas movie, and it really isn't any of them. Did you notice who one of the people attending the Hanukkah party was? I did because I said, hey, there's William Macy, Walter from Maud. But <laughs> until this very second, I didn't put that together that that's actually Duda from Surviving Christmas. From just a few weeks ago. Yes. Yeah, Good I didn't. Old okay. Duda. So I recognize I, I actually I always recognize old Walter from Maud, but I didn't. I forgot that he had played Duda. So hilarious. Look at that. I thought all of those old men sitting around the table, super adorable, super like drawn in. I really wish that they had just nixed the storyline with um, Amanda and Graham completely and just instead had this like crazy house swap where she was just over here renting the house and then all of these things happened, you know, but we didn't even have to really focus on who the other person was that she rented this house from. That would have been fine. That would have been a great story. At the end of shooting, Kate Winslet gave an interview where she said, uh, working with Jack Black having experienced it now you definitely see how someone falls in love with him it was you know getting to see his charm and and just working with him definitely he's definitely someone you could fall in love with right so a very nice thing for one person to say about her co-star that she's spending a lot of time with uh jude law at the conclusion of filming this uh said that his favorite part of making this movie was working with the girls on set who played his daughters Okay, that's funny. I think that tells you a little bit about the quality of the relationships and the and the gravitas brought to the roles. Okay, I have to tell you this. There was a scene when Graham and Amanda are talking in the kitchen and the way that the camera work is and the way that Graham and Amanda, or you can say really Jude and Cameron, are talking more to the camera. I actually thought the other one wasn't in the room <laughs> at the same time. Maybe. Like I was like, I kind of think that they just shot like all of Cameron's scenes and then she went away and like Jude Law came on and did just his scenes. Like even conversation seems so disconnected and so just not genuine that I, I literally said, I don't think they're in the same room when they're having this conversation and shot so oddly. That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think all of that comes through. I think every, I think we're just saying different versions of everything, <laughs> the, the rom, the romantic aspect, a, rom, a romance story was sold in one side of this and not the other, like at all. Okay, so is this a Christmas movie? Ready? I'm going to go first. No, this is not a Christmas movie. There was no portion of this that I felt like was this miracle kind of moment or anything really like that. I understand we're supposed to care about the fact that Amanda could cry and that, you know, she actually gave any amount of emotion towards Graham, but that's not enough for me. It just really isn't. And it just would have made more sense at Valentine's Day. And I think they should have just made Graham and Amanda maybe just friends at the end of the whole thing. Like you can have this whirlwind relationship kind of thing and and have it just kind of simmer out to just be like we're family friends forever now. But not even try to pretend like they're going to become a family unit with these two girls. I'd rather them get rid of him being a widower and having girls at all and let them just be horny kids. Just, okay. just, just that's their thing. 
That's their version of a relationship. Right. Their relationship. Right. We just hook up around the world at different locations. I'll meet you in New York at a hotel. I'll meet you and in London at a hotel. there's some romance to that, right? To like sex around the world. And that there's something to that. Uh, and that way you're not put in a weird position of, of making the one night stand sex feel shameful because you're bringing the kids into it. Because it shouldn't be shameful because it's not. But when you introduce kids into it, it becomes awkward and, and uncomfortable and is not handled well. No longer is it just a one night stand without strings attached. You have two gigantic strings attached just by nature of who you've set the character up to be. So you can't try to feed us that this is a stringless, wild vacation romance. It's not. And you've already made her meet them and lay in a tent with them and all this stuff. Right, like, right. The imprinting uh, is happening, right? Yes. I mean, you look like my Barbie doll, you know. Oh, my goodness. Take her coat, Daddy. Okay, how much oh, do you think she was going to not be wearing anything under that coat? I thought she was going to be wearing lingerie or nothing under the coat. So when they when her coat was buttoned up to her neck and then they have the child say, take her coat. I was like, OK, this is where the comedy comes in. Right. Because right. now she has to like somehow mutter to him. Can she borrow like a T-shirt or jogging pants or something? And then you have her wear that the rest of the time right. with little explanation and have it be all funny that's i mean missed opportunity central yeah wrong instrument for wrong story wrong casting for the story they're trying to tell here and the st the story they're trying to tell here they should have probably told differently or taken a different and at on it. valentine's day skip this whole christmas 100 not a christmas a movie no. let's get into some fast facts before yes, we please. move on from this film <laughs> <laughs> okay let's do it uh, this is going to be a fast fact and a comment all in one. So Miles is, that'd be Jack Black's studio setup, seen in the opening scene of the movie with the keyboard and the monitors and the sound modules and all that. You know I was drooling over all of that. <laughs> it was copied directly from the studio of Hans Zimmer, who composed the score for the film. Now, here's my freaking issue. I thought this score was terrible. And then to have a main character in the movie be a music composer for films, I was like, the irony is too thick here. This music stinks. It's not even not Christmas, but it just stinks. It is not Christmassy at all, which seems so wild that they didn't do some some holiday music built into here. But Hans Zimmer is, is an excellent composer, as we know, because Jack Black's character, he talks about Hans Zimmer's scores constantly. He hums, you know, driving with Miss Daisy uh, when they're in the blockbuster together. You know, that whole scene where he's going through different scores that Hans Zimmer has done. Uh, you know, he talks about uh, Ernio uh, Marconi. You know, he talks about Hans Zimmer. Like, he's name-dropping Hans Zimmer in the movie for which Hans Zimmer is has doing the score. I agree with you. This was not great score work this seems like something i could have bought on melody you know melody loops um largely it, it felt like elevator music <laughs> just no which is no, a shame no, because no. Hans Zimmer is uh, he's one of the greats uh he's not my favorite but he's i mean he's definitely probably on the mount rushmore of modern score composers but this is a big swing and a miss so i almost wish that they didn't focus so much on that but that being said i did drool over that music setup when the movie opens and he's scoring and he's playing the the pan the piano part into the midi and it's uh yeah i loved all of that it was making my mouth <laughs> My, my music tech mouth drool. So eagle-eyed viewers may have noticed that one of the trailers that Cameron Diaz is working on, it features James Franco and Lindsay Lohan in this fictional movie. So Nancy Myers had directed Parent Trap uh, starring Lindsay Lohan years before and called her up and was like, you owe me, come do this fictional 
trailer for me and Lindsay lohan was like of course and so that's how she gets her on board to to film the trailer for the fictional movie james franco is i guess friends with Lindsay lohan found out she was doing this and was like i'll do it too and that's how the two of them got looped on board together well, that's super funny. I like all that. Jude Law has a real-life daughter named Iris, and Graham's sister, Kate Winslet's name is Iris. La, la, la. Little real-life business in there for you. Uh, well, now, one I read one fact that actually attributed the fact that Nancy Myers names Iris because of Jude Law's daughter. But I did not read that in more than one different place. So maybe it was a coincidence. Maybe it was uh, directly lifted. I'm not sure. That little cottage does not really exist or Iris's cottage that Amanda is staying in, that was actually built whole cloth by the production team uh, out in, you know, the middle of a field. Fully, it was fully built, furnished inside. The garden was made outside and was weathered to look old. Like they spent a ton of money and time building that little cottage. Can I just say that one thing that didn't make any sense to me at all? I did not understand why they made it to where the cars couldn't go there. I think that guy was just being, yeah, that guy was just being a jerk, I think. Both times? Yeah, because she she has a car down there, clearly. I think the Uber driver or whatever the, the private car driver is. But then is even just... when they had to go back, like both times, cars acted like they couldn't go there. And I was like, what is happening? I don't know. Maybe it's I just don't like know. It was England just weird. weird. I, don't, so. I guess. I guess. We're just supposed to get it. I was just like, okay, weird. Totally weird. The website that Amanda and Iris use to exchange their houses where they're, they're typing to each other is a real yes. website. It's called homeexchange.com. I didn't know that was a thing. Because I am in a, a group of like girls who travel, I know that there is that group. And there's also like a house sitting type place where you can like actually just go and house sit in other countries. How fun would that be? So you get like paid or at least it's like equal. Like you don't have to like, you don't have to spend any money on lodging. Correct me if I'm wrong. The dog, it, that's Iris's dog that she has to take care of while she's watching sitting in the house. <laughs> was that discussed or they've just, that was kind of a thing. The dog was just there. I, did, I felt like never discussed. And also, what was the dog's name or anything like that? Like there, like, there was never any that entire exchange where Cameron Diaz is just like yeah, making faces back and forth, this weird staring contest or whatever is happening. And then th then like 30 seconds later, she like decides she's leaving. I was like, what is happening? Like, this is all so freaking weird. Can I can I tell you a mean note that I wrote in my notes? Yes. Yes. After they have the staring contest and then the dog blinks and then she says, you know, ha, you blinked. And then the dog puts his little pause over his face yes. i wrote i wrote a note in here it says the dog is a better actress a better actor <laughs> than Cameron Diaz. i love that so much because That's he was modeling really well i think he was doing an excellent job or she i agree whatever. and also yeah. whoever like mocks dogs and children are bad people and so i feel like if the dog like if you make a dog feel embarrassed you're not a good person yeah and i feel bad about all this because i actually really do like cameron diaz and a lot of her performances this is just the wrong role for her yes. go watch something about mary go watch the mask go watch or charlie's sweetest, angels the or charlie's angels like or sweetest yeah. thing go watch even the, like vanilla sky right with tom cruise i think she's in that sure. right like all of that works so much better than this this is just not the right fit for her is my absolutely issue absolutely agreed absolutely agreed all right mike are you ready for some jingle bell ratings uh sure can i play you a clip from next week's movie while we ruminate over our jingle bell ratings yes please and that shy lad in the corner, that's me. Yes, that was before you became a miserable miser, consumed by greed. Well, nobody's perfect. And there, there's lovely Isabel. Ebenezer, 
Ebenezer? Yes, Isabel? My eyes are closed, my lips are puckered, and I'm standing under the mistletoe. You're also standing on my foot. <laughs> I have no idea. It's clearly a cartoon and clearly fun and kidsy, but I don't know. What is this? That is 1983's Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, hilarious. I don't know that I've ever seen this. That's this Scrooge McDuck. Okay. Playing Ebenezer Scrooge. So, fascinating. Uh, he's, fascinating. He's finally living up to his uh, eponymous uh, namesake. <laughs> so, yeah, Scrooge McDuck available on Disney Plus if you guys want to listen to that before it comes out or watch along with us. Watch it even. They, yeah. they can even watch it if they it want is to. Available for streaming on <laughs> Disney Plus. Yes. Okay. So, Mike, you're up first for Jingle Bell ratings. I'm giving this a two. It's not a Christmas movie at all. It's only getting a two because I really enjoyed half of this movie a lot. I, I don't have to tell you, folks. People are obsessed about this movie. I read so many places where it's so many people's favorite holiday, favorite Christmas movie. They can't go a Christmas season without it. It's always on in the background. I don't know why. I mean, just I, I there's a million things I would put on before this at every Christmas season. Uh, this movie will never appear in my 25 Days of Christmas ever. Uh, it's better than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, which is a bad movie. So it's getting a two instead of the one that I gave that. I am also giving this movie a two for much the same reasons. I mean, half of a movie <laughs> kept us vaguely interested and but yet had nothing to do with Christmas at all. This is another one of those where it's really like a New Year's Eve movie in a lot of ways. Too. Yes. And so it's like, what are we even doing? And right. oh, my gosh. OK, did you read the crazy fan theory on this one? No, but you should tell our listeners, uh, give them a summary of it. Oh, my gosh. OK, basically, you guys at the point at the beginning when Amanda is like saying she can't breathe, there's some thought process that like she dies and that this entire movie is essentially some sort of dream, maybe a coma, something like that, which suddenly, I guess, allows you to erase all the things that are wrong with it. I find this bizarre, but apparently it's like super commonplace that they that this is what people think. What do you think about this? Maybe it makes it more interesting. It definitely makes it feel more like a horror film. Still doesn't help it be a Christmas movie, but I, I mean, I like the dark twist on that. And uh, part of it was also that Arthur is kind of checking off his list too so that he can move on by helping Iris become the woman she should have become in life. He is also fulfilling his destiny so he can move on to his Marion, you know, his long lost love. Oh, is this like a little like Clarency? He's trying to get his wings so he could be reunited with his long lost love uh, by helping Iris become the woman that she's meant to be. Wow. So I, it makes it far more interesting if you look at it that way. Can I give two more fast facts before we check out of here? Uh, Always? So there's a Dustin Hoffman cameo in the blockbuster scene, uh, which is kind of funny, right? Jack Black is is mansplaining the graduate to Iris. Jack, and Dustin Hoffman randomly is in a blockbuster and he's over, he's eavesdropping on Miles talking about the graduate. And he kind of mutters to himself. Uh, he says, man, I can't go anywhere. Which is kind of funny because Dustin Hoffman is very adorable and, you know, just looks like, you know, you just want to put him up on your shelf and pinch his cheeks. It's funny because that was completely unplanned. He wasn't written into this movie. He wasn't supposed to be in this movie. He happened to be driving by, saw the cameras and movie trucks at the Blockbuster. So he pulled in randomly. He was like on a lunch break from something else he was doing. He pulls in randomly to see what's going on. He knows Nancy Myers. 
So he goes up to Nancy and he's like, what are you guys doing here? She's like, hey, go go be in this movie. Like, I'll, you know, we'll work up a little scene for you to be in the background of for a cameo scene. Totally improvised, just like on the spot because he happened to be driving by and saw the film trucks at the blockbuster. That's hilarious. And I love all of that. And there, you know what? I, I would rather play a lot of games about like theories of movies where maybe all the characters are dead. Oh, uh, this is the next component <laughs> to our rewrite segment. What if they were all dead? <laughs> Uh, and say, in addition to our rewrite segment, we will also introduce a what if they were all dead? What does it mean? <laughs> I love it. My very last trivia question, just because it made me laugh out loud. Three members of the British indie rock band, The Wombats, they went to see this movie expecting a rom-com in the spirit of Bridget Jones's Diary, which I also felt at the very beginning of this movie when she were setting up in the in the press room and all of that. I also got big Bridget Jones's Diaries vibes. Uh, they ended up hating the film so much that they went home and they wrote a song called kill the director about which contains lyrics like if this is a rom-com kill the director and another line that said this is no bridget jones so the wombat's very Ouch. upset at their movie going <laughs> experience while i'm seeing this movie oh my god that's so funny well i mean hey i'm willing to like have an entire podcast about what if everyone was actually dead and this was all some sort of crazy like coma fever dream crazy afterlife we have thing. to go get Haley joe osmond though i feel like very we need to do that with him so i have to reach yeah. out to him and, uh, and then we can just be like i see christmas movies <laughs> this is caroline and this is mike thank you for listening to the 52 weeks of christmas podcast if you wouldn't mind head to apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate review and subscribe that would be fantastic and while you're there if you could leave us a five-star rating we would really appreciate it so that when time comes we can turn to you and say you've got gumption thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.